It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. And welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and that 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com and now on Apple Podcasts after the show. And today is Sunday, October 4th, 2020, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and I hope you're all staying safe wherever you are. And we hope to have a great program for you this evening. We will have a great program for you this evening. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this show, is here to make the program run smoothly as usual. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined by Clelia A. Scassia, LMSW. Clelia is a coordinator for Gender Responsive Services and Family Engagement at St. Louis County Juvenile Office, and she will be discussing what being gender responsive means in this situation. Also, later in the program, Frank Claudio Emanuel joins us to discuss diversity and inclusion in the workplace, best practices and policies. And I'll say a word or two about reconnecting to our passionate selves during the time of COVID. Uh, Throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guests. My email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can hear this evening's program after the show by going to my going to my website and the podcast will be posted along with any website links that we discuss on the program. And you can also hear the podcast as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio. That's B L O G talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also hear the podcast after the program on Apple Podcasts. And for information about previous programs, to listen to previous programs, read my blog, find out about my book, all of that, you can do that at a one-stop shop, drmaricarpel.com. You can also hear all of the previous programs that we've recorded here on blogtalkradio.com for the last almost seven years by going to blogtalkradio.com slash yourgoldenyears. And all of those podcasts are also on Apple Podcasts as well. And for information about upcoming programs and any new events, anything that you want to know right then and there (laughs) about upcoming events, uh, blogs that are posted, uh, my website, all of that, go to my, follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a brief break, but it's going to be very brief, so come, we'll be right back, so don't go anywhere. Um, and right after the break, we'll be joined by Clelia Scassia about gender responsive services in, in the juvenile justice system. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Worry about. 
about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years, specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia. Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the facts. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone, we have Clelia Scafia, who is coordinator for Gender Responsive Services and Family Engagement at St. Louis County Juvenile Office to talk about gender responsiveness in the juvenile justice system. Welcome, Clelia. Hi, good evening. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. Just a little reminder that there's a slight delay when we talk like this. So how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Focused on some self-care this weekend. That's always a good thing to do. (laughs) So, So before we jump into this topic, um, why don't we start with a little bit about your background? Sure. So I am a licensed uh, social worker. I have a master's degree in social work. Um, my undergraduate degree is in sociology with a um, focus on uh, race relations and gender and um, childhood is what I really focus my undergraduate degree in. I've worked in juvenile justice and delinquency prevention for over 15 years now in various settings. I've worked in residential treatment programs. I've worked in uh, community-based programs that were diversion programs to prevent youth from entering the juvenile justice system. And I've also worked with re-entry programs for um, juvenile justice um, as well for helping youth return home after being in a residential placement. I've had some experience with some specialized populations including uh, sex offenses. And now my work has been focused on um, our system involved girls and gender nonconforming youth. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so what, maybe we can talk about, like what is the difference in terms of how juveniles get into the uh, justice system based on whether they're male or female? Sure. So one of the, well, not one of some some big differences is that girls um, tend to be more likely to have had what we call in the system a crossover experience, so that they've been also involved with the child protective service. So that's one of the things that that tend to be different. Um, they also tend to come to the attention of the juvenile justice system for lower level offenses, what we usually call status offenses. So maybe something like truancy or running away um, behavior. There's also a lot more domestic related offenses with our girls. Um, so the, the prevalence of family conflict or, or intergenerational trauma in the home um, tends to show itself up in different ways uh, with our girls. And um, and then school-based arrests tend to be um, mm-hmm. something as well uh, that, that differentiates. Um, and then girls present with different behavioral and mental health needs and higher levels of, um, or rates rather, not levels, rates of, of trauma that manifest themselves in behaviors that end up mm-hmm. becoming an encounter with our system. 
Right, right. So how does the uh, juvenile justice system deal with the issue of trauma um, coming into that, you know, that system? Well, there's um, there's still work to be done. I guess I'll start there. Uh, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) There there is an acknowledgement and an understanding um, in the juvenile justice system and in research that services should be, you know, trauma-informed and that uh, our response should be about what has happened, what is happening, you know, to this young person, regardless of gender, you know, because boys, of course, experience trauma as well. um, But our girls have higher um, rates of reports of having experienced um, sexual abuse and, um, and other forms of, of abuse. Um, And so having a a focus with, with generally happens is a focus on treatment um, a focus on making sure that therapy is being um, provided. Um, where I say that there's still more work to do is that um, our systems, and I'm not just speaking for where I work, because I'm not speaking on behalf of where I work, but our system, you know, nationally in general, um, do have certain expectations and we have certain laws that are not trauma-informed. So, for example, um, shackling um, all juveniles that come into the courtroom, regardless mm-hmm. of their risk for being violent, is not a trauma-informed response. So you may have girls who are very likely have been sexually abused or physically abused, and now we're putting them in a restraint for no other reason than a blanket policy or a blanket law that requires mm-hmm. they be restrained to come into the courtroom. And there's a lot of reform work being done about restraint. So that was just an example to, to give where I say there's still a lot of um, work to be done. Um, and then there's a, you mm-hmm. know, a focus on responding to the behavior. So a, a young lady might be referred for um, – Stealing, let's say from a from a store, and so the response is about teaching them about shoplifting instead of digging deeper and figuring out what led to that in the first place. You know, and is right. there an issue with food insecurity in the home? Is um, is this young lady being trafficked and her money's being controlled? You know, so there's so many other mm-hmm. things that can be leading to that behavior, and so there are a lot of systems in the country that still are responding to the behavior um, and trying to still trying to figure out how do we how do we respond to what led to the shoplifting in the first place right well that you know that leads me to ask I mean is are there many mental health services um, in the juvenile justice system I mean do they automatically I would assume as a psychologist coming from that perspective that if a young person is committing, you know, crimes of any sort that get them into the justice system, that there must be a psychological or, you know, mental health component to it that led them into the system. Um, is, is there, are they receiving mental health services? There are mental health services uh, available, um, and incorporated into treatment plans. And I won't be able to refer to any research without digging through uh, through anything, but some of what the research shows is, is interruptions end up happening. So girls tend to be detained at higher rates than boys are detained, even though girls represent a smaller portion of the juvenile system than boys do. And they end up being detained for their protection. But then while that's happening, there's an interruption of treatment that they've may have been involved in before their encounter with, with the police. Um, so, so that's one of the things that ends up creating mm-hmm. a, um, 
you know, an issue with, with the treatment. Um, and the other focus that um, is needed, and, and of course there's some places do it a lot better than others, is that partnership with the community-based agencies. So there are some court systems and some juvenile um, probation um, systems that have in-house um, therapists, um, but really our, our girls, our, our young people um, cannot rely on us for that long-term need of treatment. So that partnership with the community providers is really important. So it kind of, it looks differently at where, where you are um, in rural mm-hmm. areas. There tends to be um, a lot more difficulty in finding some of those connections because of the distance that may exist or that the, that court system or probation system might be covering multiple counties. So there are, there are some places that um, the work should, um, there's, there's work to be done, of, of, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a universal understanding of the need for being treatment-focused and making sure that there is a, a connection to the proper um, type of service. Right, right. Okay. So, you know, what about the issue of, you know, um, transgender and, you know, LGBTQ and um, and how, you know, when we say girls, um, it, you know, we're referring to all of that, right? Exactly. So our... Um, so what we're so when I'm saying girls, I'm referring to young people who identify as female. Um, but within gender responsive services um, or programming or attention to gender responsiveness, there is a um, understanding that our youth are also on the continuum. Our um, female identified youth are, I think the I think the number is about forty percent identify as. Um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, nonconforming, um, and that number is even higher for for girls of of color. So, um, so yes, that that would also include. And then, you know, their experience, of course, is a lot um, has some differences than a, a girl who was um, born and assigned as girl and identifies as girl. Um, so their experience of trauma, there's going to be some differences um, by the experience that our LGBTQ plus youth deal with mm-hmm. that are also system involved. That are, you know, gender responsive, as as you call it. Sure. So, um, so the the services are not so much like a package, uh, you know, um, there, there are certain dairy food modalities that work across the board. What's, what's important for gender responsive services is that there's a focus on safety, there's a focus on identity, there's a focus on communication, on emotions and relationships. So it's important that um, girls um, and, and youth across the, the gender nonconforming spectrum feel safe in the environment that we have them participate in, um, mm-hmm. with staff, with others, um, looking at safety in their home and, and their community, and with themselves. So they have the access to the therapy that we just talked about and the treatment and learning coping skills for when they're not safe. So anger management, for instance, traditional anger management, this is not as effective with girls because it's not addressing the context of the relationship and relationships are essential to, to girls. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, they, they're often coming from families where relationships are um, defined by conflict uh, over years and, and generations and, and verbal abuse. And, um, and so, but relationships are still central to girls and they often seek that need um, in other places. 
um, and, you know, with friends and, and some romantic relationships, um, girls tend to communicate differently. So we, we have to um, allow them that space. They're, they're more uh, about achieving intimacy between um, each other, you know, and that connection. When I say intimacy, the, the connection with another, mm-hmm. another person. Um, they want to feel, they're more likely to want to feel connected to their worker. Um, it's not uncommon for girls to call their worker to just talk something through because they felt that connection. And some, something we see different, they're usually not calling their officer to talk something through, but, you know, we'll see that with right. our, our girls. Um, and having their identity um, included in how, having them a voice in an input into whatever programs and services, whether it's group work or drop-in or, um, you know, extracurricular, or, and, and it's going to vary. So each of these things I mentioned, how it gets applied and what the practicality of it looks like will vary whether or not we're talking about a community-based setting. Are we talking about a residential setting or a detention setting? Is it prevention work? Is it, um, you know, under formal supervision? But those are the elements that are sh- extremely important to be successful with girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm wondering – do you have any suggestions for preventing girls in particular, I guess, because that's what we're, you know, that's who we're talking about right now, right. from even entering into the justice system, even getting to that point? I mean, what are, what are some ideas for helping at-risk girls or, you know, or people who identify as girls? Sure. So the, uh, I guess I'll start by saying that there are many um, risk factors that are similar between boys and girls. So, um, mm-hmm. and what, some of the things that are, are different is early puberty. So we can't stop that. <laughs> um, sexual right. abuse or maltreatment. Um, depression, anxiety, and, and connections to unhealthy people. Um, so one of the things that I believe to be very influential are those safe, healthy relationships, um, the opportunity for mentorship with adult females, um, of course, getting treatment for abuse, um, no matter what kind of abuse it is, is, is important. Um, our girls are also at much higher risk for uh, girls and uh, girls and trans youth are at the. I'm, I'm I'm hoping I'm not quoting research incorrectly, but at the highest risk for um, being trafficked. Um, mm. So that that can be a whole other whole other conversation. And there's a you know there is a lot of work being done to prevent you know trafficking and and how do we how do we get to that? Um, but I truly believe that those relationships, having those healthy bonds with, um, especially mm-hmm. with adult women, um, and to see that, that you can have healthy relationships with men as well, of course, um, are, I think is extremely important for, uh, for our girls. And in the school setting is treating mm-hmm. behaviors as, on. So instead of being so quick to to spend for a fight or expel for a fight or um, you know deal with tr- truancy in the way it's been tr- traditionally dealt with, I think the way we um, we respond as community as an education system um, can help prevent that mm-hmm. involvement in the juvenile system and then what ends up being um, a fast track, you know, through the system if we deal with behaviors as just punishment instead of as needs for treatment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that makes sense. 
you know, <laughs> you know, to really get to the root of the problem before it even escalates to the point where, you know, they end up incarcerated. Right. And, uh, and as you said, a lot of the behaviors are, um, are acting out because of something else going on that we, they need help with. Um, and, and I would I would just add is you know looking at the girls as a family system you know our our girls are are also coming from parents that need some healing. Mhm. Right. Right. So helping the parents as well. Absolutely. Mhm. Yeah, and that's a good point. I think for even for listeners who are not these are not their children and they're not you know. Um, teachers, but we're all, you know, part of the community, right? It all takes a village. (laughs) Absolutely. um, Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. Your your neighbor who you think is just wanting attention may be looking for a connection. It's not just about the attention. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, when people are looking for purposeful things to do in their life as, you know, as we grow older, maybe being a mentor would be a, a really positive thing to thing to do. Absolutely. Mhm. Mhm. So, um, it, do you have any um, suggestions for listeners who want to find out more information about, um, you know, the differences in in gender and getting into the juvenile justice system and, and things that could help young people to who who are in the justice system and those who, you know, are at risk of, of getting there? Sure. So three of my um, go-tos is the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention. Um, there is plenty of research and recommendations and and, um, literature reviews on there. The Vera Institute for Justice is one of my go-tos. They particularly have an initiative to end girl incarceration. Um, So I I would highly recommend um, looking at the the Vera Institute and the the work that they they have. out there. And then Georgetown Law um, has an initiative on gender justice and opportunity. And so they have a lot of um, work um, in that regard uh, and how our, um, how our girls are affected and, and um, there are connections, you know, um, to, to our system. So those are the three that I would recommend to learn um, learn more. It could feel overwhelming trying to uh, look through all of the research that um, is available, but then there's also research that's not yet available. Um, that you know, we there's um, you know more learning uh, to do. Um, and sure. I say that to say that um, you know a lot of work has been done on juvenile justice reform. Um, but a lot of the reform efforts have been more focused on our boys' needs and what appears to be non-gender type of responses, but really works for our boys. So um, while that that was happening, um, we actually saw an increase in girls being referred to our Mm. system. So there, and, um, and that's in the 2000s. So I'm talking about recent, (laughs) recent data um, but, you know, we, we have some, I think, good information to get some things. We've been, imp- okay. you know, implementing a lot in the field. Okay, great. So I'm going to, um, if you can send me those links um, for those recommended source resources, I will post them on my uh, website link about this show later tonight. So that if listeners are interested, they could just go to my website and they could just click on them. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. Great. Um, thank you so much for for coming on the program. This is a really interesting topic, and we've never um, 
you know, discussed it before here. And I think um, there is, it's a pretty big topic. So maybe sometime in the future you can come back and, and continue. Okay. It was my pleasure and it would be my pleasure to return. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. And you have a good evening. You as well. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a very brief break. And when we come back, Frank Claudio Emanuel will be here to discuss diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on, we have Frank Claudio Emanuel um, to discuss diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Welcome, Frank. Good evening. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing great this uh, Sunday evening. Great to be on your show great. and talk about a very important topic. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And and just a reminder, there's a slight delay when we talk like this, so that's just good to keep in mind. Um, so, Frank, um, what, before we jump into this discussion, why don't you briefly tell our listeners a little bit about your background? So I'm an account manager slash diversity and inclusion specialist at my company, basically take on a, two roles. Uh, basically, my, my job is to look at uh, minority markets and kind of assess them, how we can better fit and serve their needs uh, currently and also in the future. So basically looking at as trends are changing in the market, how we actually uh, servicing the minority markets properly because in the past they've not been serviced, so we try to make sure we do that. Okay, all right. So, um, what have you seen? I mean, you you know you wanted to talk about um, you know best practices, and um, what what have you seen? What do what are we working with to start with? So the first thing I think when you're talking about diversity inclusion is really better management, um, that has to start with the company. Uh, Their company really and truly embracing the diversity and inclusion model. Uh, What I mean by that is um, lately we've seen a lot of lip service being done, but are there actually procedures and practices in place so that every employee feels that they're being uh, basically, you know, valued as team members. They are improving their job satisfaction, trust, engagement, creativity, commitment, and performance. That's everybody wants to do every day, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what have you seen going on instead? What do you think, you know, is, have you said there's lip service, so what's really happening behind the scenes? So what I've seen is a lot of these companies coming to the forefront now in regards to diversity inclusion uh, because of what's going on with the BLM movement. But this should have been done years ago, Farah, because, again, mm-hmm. um, what I'm seeing also when talking to colleagues is when we're hiring an individual, the person in the HR department, um, I hate to say this, is very white. So if I'm a minority coming in there, I'm already at a disadvantage. And people say, how is mm-hmm. that happening? Well, if I look different than you, I'm being received differently, the, the, excuse me, received differently by you. 
And we all have these uh-huh. unconscious biases. And, and that's what's happening there is that um, I walk in a room, you know, I, I come in, maybe my hair is a certain, a certain texture that's not like yours. The skin color is different. And that's really where the bias begins and really where we have to improve our HR department to understand that when we're employing people, that we're going to the bright resources, so different resources that we're actually using to market these positions. Mhm. Mhm. So, you know, you said it's unconscious the biases. So, how do we overcome biases that are that we're not conscious of? It, it's really through training, and and really, mm-hmm. um, so it's becoming uncomfortable to get comfortable. What I say. So that means if if something is making me uncomfortable, I have to tell you it's not comfortable for me. Or my colleagues, if I see them, that they're being slighted or something, I have to come up and say something about that. The the problem is that what's happening, and I'm seeing more and more of this, is that a minority minority is saying, I don't want to do that because I'll lose my my job or be labeled or, you know, be called a or something to the effect of I'm not a team player. I'll give you an example. Uh, One of my colleagues at work, um, she was told in an interview, um, you don't smile enough. I mean, excuse me, on her hmm. employee interview, you, you don't smile enough. And she's like, what do you mean? Well, you come across as very hard because you're not smiling. Mm-hmm. Well, how is that relevant to what she's doing for her job? And, and that was an African-American uh, person, female, told me that. As opposed to, you know, I went around and said, okay, were you asked the same question? I asked the white female, I asked the white male. So no. So to me, that's a bias, right? It's an unconscious bias that if I come in mm-hmm. and my face is not smiling, then all of a sudden I'm not approachable. That's not true. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so do you find that some of the, you know, the courses that they give about awareness and to be aware of our biases, do you, do you find that they're helpful or do you find that they're just lip service again? Well, again, the big thing, I, I have, again, it has to be the buy-in from the top down. So if the evaluation of your executive team is not portrayed doing diversity and inclusion, that means if there's not people on the executive team that are minorities, Latinos, African-American, women, stuff like that, then it sounds like lip service. You know, worse, mm-hmm. if, if you're not recruiting from colleges such as Spelman or, or, or Howard or other African-American universities, then you're being racist because, again, there's good quality people coming out of these institutions. Now, I won't mention any names, but we just heard about a major bank making a heinous, heinous, heinous uh, comment about weak minorities. And you and I know that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Would, mm-hmm. would you agree with that? Absolutely. And this is a top-level person. And once it was posted on LinkedIn, people jumped in saying, of course it is. Yes, they've been doing this for years. So to me, how can you say you're doing something right when you've still been doing it wrong all this time? Um, Mm -hmm. Again, it's not only money, but I think it's actually getting into the communities, understanding the the language of the people, understanding where they come from. Remember, we're all different. And I think we're trying to put a rod into a square, and it's not going to work. Um, right. Again, right now, people work from home. Well, a lot of people, especially minorities, don't have access to Internet, or their Internet goes in and out. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. them who are working remotely who would sometimes work from libraries. Well, libraries are closed right now, so they have to go to a, a Dunkin' Donuts or a McDonald's or Starbucks you know, to, to do that. So to me, people don't understand that. I mean, that's, that's a disadvantage. That's an unbiased. That is a bias right there. You know, let me ask you, um, you know, before we run out of time, I just want I, I want to ask on the other side, how mm-hmm. does this benefit, how does this benefit everybody else? Like the people who are not the minority, people who are in the majority, right? How does it benefit everybody else when we start to include people who haven't been included before? So studies have showed 
that productivity goes up 20 to 30% when there's inclusion across the board. Across hmm. the board. 20 to 30%. It goes up less absenteeism, more communication, more of uh, promoting from within than from outside. And right now, I think right now, you know, that's very important because if you want to grow, the companies I see growing right now are the small companies, the mom and pops that are 20, 25, 30, 50 people because it's more inclusive. The bigger mm-hmm. companies, I think, are just, again, it, it's lip service to me. I just don't see the concrete evidence that they're actually doing what's right. And I think in the long run, you're going to see more and more people do startups, more and more people going to smaller companies for less pay because it's a better working environment at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you, when you have more inclusion, you actually have a better working environment for everybody, and that helps the company. It helps the company. It helps the employees as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it helps right. the community as a whole. Absolutely. Right. Those are important points because I think um, – I think people who are, you know, higher up in companies need to know how, you know, how they benefit from it, <laughs> right? Um, exactly. We all benefit. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. We, we all do. We all do. I think that's um, right now our most precious commodity is, is people and, and their talents and their creativity. But mm-hmm. we can't, at least those talents and creativity is always being held down. Um, and to me, I can understand, I empathize with them. I understand them 100% because I relate to them as Latino. So to me, that's, that's, a, that's a very sore spot for me. But I'm trying to be part of the solution or part of the problem. But at least allow me to be at the table, discuss the differences, and be part of the solution. That's all I'm asking. Right. I think that's all we're asking Right. For. Mhm mhm and and when you brought about brought up creativity you know it's i i think when you start to have more diversity in perspectives and and the places where people are coming from um it increases creativity among everybody i mean now you have different views it's not the same old tired view that you've been having all these years right you have people no, exactly. from all over mhm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, what's happened in the past, and now we're seeing less of it now, is when people are putting their resumes together, we're seeing the true person. So before they would say, I want to make my, my, my resume look white, so I'm not going to put my, my full name there because I'm going to be targeted. Mm-hmm. And now people like myself, I've actually put my first my full name out there right now because before it would be like, if somebody put my middle name, well, we already know where you come from. And to me, right. I can't change my name. I have to alter it. But that wasn't fair to me as well as other people. I can't change who I am. And mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. I'm bringing a different perspective to, to the group. And by doing that, I think we'll, it will grow the organization and grow the people. And I think we're missing hidden gems by not doing this. I really do. Dr. Yep, Moore, because I, to I... me... They're just in the in the background, and what happens is, you know, you know, Black History Month comes once a year, Hispanic History Month comes once a year, but that's all. It's every day for us. And to me, mm-hmm. if I can't dress the way I am because it's going to make you feel uncomfortable, well, I'm sorry. That's not that's not a me thing. That's a you thing. I'm not a being mm-hmm. going to be offensive, but I should be able to dress the way and how I was raised. I've had to change that, and I'm going back to that because to me, that's not. I don't want to show that to my children. I don't want them to do, have to go right. through what I went through, or my wife went through. That's not fair. So, so Frank, before we go, um, do you have any suggestions for listeners about resources where they might be able to find out more information? Absolutely, I, I would Google uh, diversity and inclusion, and there's some free um, toolkits to download. As well as, okay. I think, uh, looking at employee workshops and trainings through your department, HR department, and if not, I think taking them. I, I've been very fortunate. I took, I don't know if I can say this online, but I, I took the courses through Cornell. These institutions put the material out there. You really 
learn about it. There's different people in these classes. You become friends after the classes, even though it's remotely. But really, these are the institutions that can really help us to, if you don't get it at work, to really find it somewhere else. You really have to hunt for it yourself sometimes. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Well, good suggestions. I'm going to post a little bit of that on my website post about this show. And um, thank you so much, Frank, for coming on the program to talk about this. And, and, you know, I'd love to have you come back again sometime in the future to discuss it a little bit further. Absolutely. And um, if you want me to, like I said, I'll give you my email. If people have questions, they can email me. I want to be a resource for other people. I'm not getting anything out of it financially. I'm getting something out of it by helping another person and then helping another person and then helping another person. Absolutely. So what, uh, um, do you want to say your email address? Oh, sure. So it's my first initial F and then E-M-A-N-U-E-L-E at S-N-E-T dot N-E-T. My first and then my last name at SNET.net. So if you email me there saying, hey, listen, I heard the show. I want to get some information. I'll direct you in the right place and do the best I can and and try to be an advocate for you because it doesn't matter where you are. uh, We're in this together. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Okay. And you have a good evening. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So we're going to take a brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpel.com. Two very interesting, important topics. And now I'm going to speak for a few minutes in the few minutes that we have left on the show about another important topic, and that is, and it's, it's kind of related to the other two, and that is how to live your passion during this time of a pandemic. And I I started talking about it a little bit last week in terms of um, how our passion might be different right now because we can't do some of the things that we had planned to do. Um, Maybe your passion was performing musically or um, dancing or singing in some other way, but uh, or public speaking. My, I was in. I was looking forward to public speaking engagements, but we can't do any of that right now, and it's going to be a while before we can do it. So that doesn't mean that we don't um, have passion. Um, uh, we might find another way to do some of the things that we really want to do. Um, People are doing that through, you know, performing on the Internet and live streaming it and things like that. But maybe right now we need to sort of put that on hold. And maybe right now we're being called to do something even more important because right now a lot of people are struggling in many ways, more than before. People were struggling before, um, but even more right now because of so many different things, Um, but especially because of the pandemic and and the financial burden it's put on people and the isolation and even having lost loved ones to this virus. Um, So maybe right now, we really need to look at what we can do to be of service, how we can help. Um, So, you know, I've 
been asked many times before, what does living your passion mean? And when I started talking about it, I was talking about, you know, doing something that you really love to do, doing something that really lights you up and makes you feel great. But as time went on, I realized that there was a very important component that I wasn't mentioning, and that is that living your passion is doing something that you love to do, but that has a greater purpose other than yourself um, and even your immediate family. So doing something that helps society and helps strangers, um, these things are, you know, when we have a greater purpose for what we're doing, and I have mentioned this many times before, then the days that you don't feel like doing it that greater purpose is what gets you up out of bed to go ahead and and do that thing. Um, but now we need we need people to be doing more and more things to be part of the be part of the difference to be part of the change to help other people. So many people need help. There's so much negativity and darkness. Um, anger and sadness and despair in the world right now that we can make a difference by bringing in the light. We can make a difference by doing positive things, by acting with kindness and generosity. And so it's sort of brought up another level of what is living your passion mean to the level of what in Buddhism they call dharma. What is your dharma? So dharma is not always something that you just feel good doing. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes when you're living your dharma, it's hard. But the joy comes from knowing that what you did helped other people. That's where you start to get the passion from because you know that you did something that really made a difference in another person's life or in many other people's lives. And then, and that passion and your dharma is what is your particular path of doing that. So if you have a particular talent, um, that you can use to help other people, that might be your dharma. If you are really good at listening to other people, then that might be your dharma, that you're there as uh, to reach out to other people and be the shoulder for them to lean on. If you're really good at organizing people and getting things together to help other people, then that's your dharma. Get people out to vote, to to um, to do their civic duty and vote. Encourage people to stay healthy and wear a mask and social distance. Maybe you can help pass out masks before people go out to vote so they can do it safely. That might be your dharma, that you're good at that, that that's something that you can do to help other people. Um, maybe right now you're needed to help with children who are distance learning. So maybe you have grandchildren that you need to help distance learn. Or, you know, of course, if you have your own children, um, maybe you need to help. You are good at helping with friends or a family member to help them while they're going out to to work or they're working from home and they can't pay attention to their children, Um, you know, or it might be performing online and bringing your talent to people who are isolated at home to bring joy into their lives. So, or maybe it's writing, writing about what's going on in the world and giving your perspective in a way that helps people to understand, to calm them, to give them hope, or to give them suggestions of what to do 
to help themselves, such as, you know, Frank. Frank was talking about his, you know, he just wants people to contact him for help and um, creating more diversity in the workplace. Any money involved, but because he feels like that's his calling. So that would be your Dharma. So right now, rather than getting frustrated about not being able to follow what your dream was, what your passion was, to use this time to bring more light into the world, to follow what your calling is in terms of helping other people right now during this time in 2020 when we need people to help. And when things start to improve, when, the, when there's a vaccine, when the virus starts to get, be under control, when people can get back to a semi-normal way of living, then maybe you can go back to your original dream. Or maybe your dream will have changed from this experience. But I promise you that going out and helping other people right now where it's really needed is not a waste of time. It's not a, um, a, a diversion from your, from your passionate path. It will hurt you in any way. This is a time that you can really learn a lot. And and you can really benefit from all of the many benefits of being kind and generous. Um, there's so much um, that you get from being kind and generous without any expectation from other people. Um, I mean, you know, I wrote a whole chapter about that in my book, and that was way before... I, you know, I could have known that we were going to have a pandemic. There's so many benefits to kindness and generosity that we receive as the doer. And there's so much benefit to the world when we bring that kindness and generosity into the world, that we can actually be part of the change that we want to see in the world, as Gandhi put it that we can bring light into the world and we can actually make a difference. If we're all doing something to help everybody, one, you know, our little part, all joined together with everybody doing their little part will make such a huge difference in the world and maybe bring us to the place where we can start following our the dream that we were following before or create new dreams and new connections with people we might not have met before. So on that note, I'm going to end this with just letting you know what's coming up next week. Okay. So next Sunday, October 11th, we'll be back with another show live from here in Austin, Texas, and we'll be joined from right here in Austin, Texas by Tuck Kamen creative strategist and author of Design Your Age, and he'll be discussing Age Circus, which is a platform to help folks of all generations to find common ground. And more, we always have more interesting discussions to be announced as we get closer to next Sunday. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from the show and get those uh, links that we discussed on the program tonight, then go to my website later tonight. All of that will be there, um, drmaricarpel.com. And you can listen to this program in five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio. That's B-L-O-G talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also listen on Apple Podcasts in five minutes. And be sure to follow me on Facebook to find out what's coming up next. Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This program was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And special thanks to my guests, Clelia Scassia, Frank Emanuel, and of course, thank you to Art, and thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. 
Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 